This is a podcast from Minute Media. Silver and Black Flashback with your host, author of the Raiders Encyclopedia, Rich Schmelter. As always, thanks so much to my man Murph, and Happy New Year to you, my friend. And let's not forget a major shout out for a Happy New Year to the best damn fan base in the world, Raider Nation. All right. We're going to kick off 2022 with a multiple episode of Flashback, dedicated to our Raiders' first Super Bowl winning season, led by the late, great head coach John Madden. One is the Loneliest Number was a chart-topping song by Three Dog Night in 1968, and Heavy is the Head That Wears the Crown came a wee bit earlier, like centuries earlier, in a William Shakespeare play. Both are classics, there is no doubt about that. However, proclaiming that one is the loneliest number is way off when it comes to sports. Am I right? Being number one is freaking great. Just look at the many photos from the Raiders' Super Bowl XI victory where the We Are Number One sign is proudly displayed with index fingers raised high in the air. And what about that heavy is the head that wears the crown crap? Oh, hell no. Once again... Old Billy Boy Shakespeare might have been one of the greatest playwriters in history, but he was not around for championship glory enjoyed by so many throughout the years. Hey, let's create another phrase similar to Shakespeare's. How about, heavy is the finger that displays a championship ring. Hell yeah! And that championship jewelry might be heavy, but damn does it feel good and look great on a finger. Our Raiders have the honor as a franchise of giving out championship jewelry on three occasions, and the start of it all occurred following an incredible and dominant display by our Raiders in 1976. And let's begin on that journey that ended with one finger proudly raised in the air and championship jewelry donning all those fingers. What made this climax to an incredible season even better for our beloved Raiders was shaking off the stigma of not being able to win the big one, despite so many great, incredible regular season successes. After taking over as head coach in 1969, John Madden guided the Raiders to an amazing 70-21-7 regular season record through 1975. In those seven seasons, Madden's Raiders won six division titles, but lost one AFL championship game and four AFC title games. After once again coming up one game short of the Super Bowl on a bitter, cold January 4, 1976 afternoon in Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship game. John Madden sat in a locker room where the only sound came from the showers. Needless to say, the entire organization felt the heavy weight of defeat slowly crushing them. Those playoff losses haunted the Raiders as winter gave way to spring and summer, which meant another trip to Santa Rosa for training camp. In July of 1976, The Raiders gathered in Santa Rosa, committed to produce a season that would not end with a loss in the final game played, meaning victory in the Super Bowl. Nothing else mattered. Like in any walk of life, changes occur, and the 76 Raiders had to face that as training camp became a revolving door. The NFL's all-time leading scorer at this period in pro football history was longtime veteran George Blanda, a Raiders icon just shy of his 49th birthday when training camp began. 
It was decided that Blanda's days as a professional football player were winding down, and a rookie kicker taken in the fifth round of the draft out of Boston College named Fred Steinfort sent signals that the team was looking for a change at the place-kicking position. Now, George Blanda was stubborn and a fierce competitor loaded with pride. He even felt that while approaching his 49th birthday, his skill level was good enough to challenge the rookie who was born three years after Blanda started playing professionally in 1949 with the Chicago Bears. Well, after not playing in the team's first three preseason games, it became very clear that the Raiders were sending a message to Blanda that a change was coming. It did not sit well with the stubborn veteran, but eventually, even though he thought he could still perform, Blanda quietly left the team. Another veteran lost was bruising fullback Marv Hubbard, who was suffering with a bad shoulder that refused to stay in its socket. During training camp, the defensive line was hit the hardest by injuries. Both Horace Jones and Art Toms suffered season-ending injuries during the exhibition season, and then defensive end Tony Klein was lost with a bad knee. The Raiders used a 4-3 defensive alignment, but due to the line so depleted by injuries, John Madden and his coaching staff decided to switch to a 3-4, meaning three linemen and four linebackers. The Raiders rolled to a 5-1 preseason record and were now ready to take on the games that counted. Heading into the regular season, the Raiders appeared to once again be a solid contender with many solid performers. At quarterback, Ken Stabler was one of the league's top passers and looked to be back in top form after a knee injury hampered him in 1975. Mark Van Egan assumed the fullback duties after Marv Hubbard was lost with a shoulder injury, and 30-year-old Pete Banasak was a tough short yardage runner who scored 16 touchdowns the year before. Clarence Davis was a valuable asset at halfback and one of the best blockers out of the backfield that the league had. Cliff Branch and Fred Belitnikoff were two of the best wide receivers in the league, which made Ken Stabler's job a whole lot easier. Adding big tight end Dave Casper into the mix, the Raiders had one of the most elite receiving cores in the entire NFL. Branch's speed allowed him to be the team's deep threat on any given play, and Belitnikoff's finesse and sure hands were second to none. Helping to blow open holes for the running game and holding off pass rushes to allow Stabler time to throw was the greatest offensive line ever assembled. Guard Gene Upshaw, tackle Art Shell, and center Dave Dalby anchored this incredible group. On defense, the Raiders hoped that the depleted line would adapt to the 3-4 alignment, but a solid linebacker core backed it up. Ted Hendricks, Monty Johnson, and Phil Villapiano were one of the best linebacker units in the league. And as for the secondary, well, the soul patrol of George Hitman Atkinson, Jack the Assassin Tatum, Skip Dr. Death Thomas, and the leader of this unit, cornerback Willie Brown, all hit hard and made anyone that came into their area regret it. The special teams unit was led by punter Ray Guy, who is the best at his position in the entire league. Rookie place kicker Fred Steinfort had big shoes to fill after beating out the legendary George Blanda, and Neil Colsey was coming off a season that saw him gain 655 yards on punt returns, which was the most in NFL history for a rookie at that time. The schedule makers were brilliant when they decided to open the 1976 campaign with a revival of the Pittsburgh-Oakland Bloodfest on Sunday, September 12th. Now simply put, 
The Raiders and the Steelers hated each other in the mid to late 70s. Their clashes were the most intense rivalry pro football offered at the time. Both teams were at the top of the pro football world, and usually their games against each other had championship implications attached to them. The hitting and hate was real, and the animosity gained momentum with each meeting. This game helped to add gasoline to an already burning inferno between these two teams. During the game, George Atkinson lived up to his hitman style of play when he blasted Pittsburgh receiver Lynn Swan with a blindside, clothesline hit that knocked Swan unconscious. Pittsburgh head coach Chuck Knoll then referred to Atkinson as part of a criminal element within the league. The hit and the attention it brought quickly made its way to NFL Commissioner Pete Rozelle, who fined Atkinson $1,500. Within a few months, Atkinson sued Knoll for slander in a cash amount of $2 million attached to it. In July of 1977, the case went before a jury and they eventually ruled in Knoll's favor. Now getting back to this hard-hitting season opener, in the fourth quarter, the defending Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers were in front 21-7. The Raiders' only score up to this time was a 30-yard pass from Ken Stabler to Dave Casper in the second quarter. Fred Belitnikoff then closed the gap to 21-14 when he made a diving catch of a 21-yard pass from Stabler. Pittsburgh came right back with a Franco Harris six-yard run to make it a 28-14 game with six minutes left. At this point, the Steelers appeared to be in complete control in front of 52,718 Raider fans. It became more apparent that the Steelers were going to put this one in the win column after Stabler was intercepted and Pittsburgh took over on the Oakland 19. However, momentum took a turn in Oakland's direction and resulted in a fantastic finish for the Silver and Black. On the next play, Harris fumbled and linebacker Monty Johnson recovered on the Oakland 25. Stabler quickly rebounded from his previous interception by taking the Raiders 75 yards in five plays that resulted in a touchdown. In this quick drive, Stabler hit on four passes that covered 72 yards, with the last one going to Casper for a 10-yard touchdown. Fred Steinfort's conversion brought Oakland to within seven points with three minutes remaining. Warren Bankston was the next to play a pivotal role for the Silver and Black as he partially blocked a punt which Oakland recovered on the Pittsburgh 29 with 1.47 left. After three Stabler passes failed to advance the ball, the Raiders were facing a do-or-die 4th and 10 situation. Stabler once again dropped back to pass and managed to get away from Pittsburgh's fierce defensive tackle Mean Joe Green. Still upright, Snake found Cliff Branch at the 11, and the gifted speedster ran it down to the 2 with 1 minute and 9 seconds to go in the 4th quarter. With extra blocking from three tight ends, Stabler carried the ball himself to the left side of the field. With a solid wall of protection in front of him, he scored with ease. Steinfort did not rattle, and his conversion split the uprights to tie the game at 28-28 with one minute showing on the clock. On Pittsburgh's first play following the ensuing kickoff, quarterback Terry Bradshaw received heavy pressure from Oakland's defensive line. His pass was deflected by tackle Dave Rowe and intercepted by linebacker Willie Hall. Now with 50 seconds left, the Raiders were on the Pittsburgh 12-yard line. Two carries by Pete Banasak moved the ball eight yards. And with 21 seconds to go, 
Steinford kicked the winning field goal from 21 yards out to make it a 31-28 final. Even though Steinfurt was a rookie, he got heavy exposure to pressure kicking early in the season and came through like a champion. Also coming through for the silver and black was Ken Stabler, who threw for a career-high 342 yards on 21 of 38 attempts and three touchdowns. This was a great moral victory for the Raiders as well. For after being snuffed out of the playoffs three of the previous four seasons by the Steelers, the Raiders rallied against their nemesis and looked to build on the momentum from one of the greatest victories in the history of the franchise. Ken Stabler continued to work his brilliance against enemy defenses. This time, he directed the Raiders to a 24-21 victory over Kansas City on Monday Night Football on September 20th. Stabler was forced to leave this game in the fourth quarter with pulled ligaments in his knee, with the Raiders up 24-7. Until that injury, Snake hit on 22 of 28 pass attempts for 224 yards and three touchdown strikes, going to Dave Casper, Cliff Branch, and Mike Ciani. Fred Steinford added a 37-yard field goal in between Stabler's scoring tosses. The Chiefs rallied late and came to within three points with 2.50 left to play, but an onside kick failed and Oakland ran out the clock. With Ken Stabler resting his knee, Oakland's offense was turned over to Mike Ray for a September 26th meeting with the Houston Oilers. Ray was in his first NFL season after three years in the Canadian Football League. Also resting due to injuries for the Raiders were running backs Clarence Davis and Carl Garrett, both suffering from rib injuries against Kansas City, and Fred Bolitnikoff was out with a back bruise. In a tight defensive battle, the Houston Oilers jumped out to a 6-0 first quarter lead. Ray then settled down and threw two touchdown passes to Cliff Branch, which was all the Raiders needed in a 14-13 win. Houston kicker Skip Butler attempted a 55-yard field goal on the game's final play, but the kick went wide right. Six foot eight, 280-pound defensive end, Big John Matuzak signed with the Raiders on September 17th to bolster the defensive line, and this was his first game as a Raider, and he turned in one hell of a solid performance. A trip to Foxborough, Massachusetts on October 3rd was next up for the Raiders in a game against the red-hot New England Patriots, who beat the Pittsburgh Steelers and Miami Dolphins on consecutive weekends. The Patriots did not seem impressed when facing the NFL's elite teams and once again proved that by mauling the Raiders 48-17. They never trailed in this game thanks to a great performance by quarterback Steve Grogan and the running of Andy Johnson and Sam the Bam Cunningham. Grogan threw for three touchdowns and ran for two more while the backfield rolled up a then-team record 296 rushing yards. Ironically, the Patriots' old rushing record was also set against the Raiders 10 years earlier. Oakland's points came on a Ken Stabler to Fred Bolitnikoff 14-yard pass, a 1-yard run by Mike Ray, and a 44-yard field goal by Fred Steinfurt. After suffering their first loss of the regular season, the Raiders came into Week 5 in a three-way tie for first place in the AFC Western Division with the San Diego Chargers and Denver Broncos. The Raiders did their part to break up the jam with a 27-17 win over the Chargers on October 10th after trailing in this game 17-14 in the fourth quarter. The Broncos also lost to give Oakland sole possession of first place. Despite a lot of injuries on defense, Ken Stabler and the offensive unit carried the load. 
Snake was near perfect, hitting on 20 of 26 pass attempts for 339 yards and three touchdowns. Cliff Branch caught two of Stabler's touchdown passes from 74 and 41 yards out and led all receivers with 167 yards on just five receptions. Dave Casper also caught a touchdown pass and had seven receptions for 104 yards. And Pete Banasak ended the day's scoring with a four-yard touchdown run. A trip to Denver on October 17th saw the Raiders take on the Broncos and their very tough defensive unit. Coming into this game, Denver had a streak of 16 straight games of allowing no more than 17 points scored on it. And in the first half, that unit lived up to its reputation, as the Raiders could only score on a 34-yard field goal from Fred Steinfurt and were down 10-3 going into the second half. A 46-yard touchdown pass from Snake Stabler to Cliff Branch, plus the extra point, tied the game in the third quarter, and then Pete Banasek put Oakland out in front with a one-yard touchdown run to make the final score 17-10. The defense held off a late Denver rally in the closing seconds, and the special teams unit came up big by containing the NFL's top kick returner, Rick Upchurch, throughout the entire game. After five straight road games, the Raiders were finally back at the Coliseum on October 24th to take on the Green Bay Packers, who came into this game with three straight wins. With Ken Stabler hitting on 11 of 14 first-half pass attempts, the Raiders scored all their points in the second quarter in an 18-14 win over the Packers. Stabler connected on three scoring passes to Dave Casper from 27 yards out, Cliff Branch hauled in an amazing 88-yard touchdown pass, and Fred Belintnikoff scored from 10 yards out. In a rare instance for the pros, all of Oakland's extra point attempts were missed. The offense began to sputter throughout the second half as Stabler was only able to complete two of seven pass attempts. The Silver and Black did manage to avert a late Green Bay rally thanks to an interception by Skip Dr. Death Thomas. This win gave the Raiders a 6-1 record at midseason, which placed them two games ahead of San Diego in the division. Well, all right, Raider Nation. This takes us to the halfway point of the 1976 season and the end of this episode. I hope to have all of you back for part two. And until then, as always, and for the first time in 2022, I proudly salute the greatest damn fan base in the world by saying, love you Raider Nation.